As was mentioned earlier this evening, we are certainly thankful that God has permitted us the blessing of assembling like this. And we're thankful that we can always open His Word in freedom and also be challenged and encouraged by it. And not only are we thankful for our membership who've come our way tonight, as certainly we are each expected to, to be here, but we're also, as Gary mentioned earlier, thankful for the visitors who also are here among us. We do hope that each of us can worship in a way that would please our Heavenly Father. And we can be motivated and challenged to live in this week now, the first day of it having come and almost gone, to live in a way that's pleasing unto God. As you probably have noted in the title of the lesson tonight, we'll cast a spotlight on a common activity, one that is very, very commonly occurring. But in so doing, also that by that same token, it sets before us the reality of question and proper understanding. Our goal is merely to allow the Word of God to do the speaking. It is never our wish, our guide, our thought to impress our will over that of God. And so tonight, what is it that might be said about gambling? I realize we live in a part of the world in which it's not only common, but also the temptations abound with regard to it. It seems as though newspapers, the nightly news, they make certain to help you and I be aware of what the current Powerball amount is. It helps it also on their account that the Tennessee Lottery, you and I have noticed radio programs and other encouragements abound, encouraging one and all to be aware of the fun to be had in an instant. But to say all of that is still to say that you and I always wishing to live in harmony with the will of God. We would do well to at least give some consideration to what does the Word of God have to say about it. Tonight, that's our goal. I hope that you have your Bible and you and I will spend the next few moments investing some consideration in the matter of gambling. To do so, I thought we would first use these additional opening thoughts. You and I know that sports gambling, I suppose, is the most critical source in many ways of the actual encouragement to gambling. At least myself, I even found it a bit shocking to look at some of those statistics. You'll notice among the bottom two, worldwide, over $3 trillion is wagered annually in gambling. That's trillion now with a T. The Super Bowl, as you know, was played seven days ago here in America. $4.7 billion, it was estimated, that would be wagered on that game. That's one game. It's staggering to give thought, isn't it, to the amount of money that changes hands, some legally, I might add, and some illegally. Obviously, some of those estimates, given that a, much of that may well be illegal, it's merely an estimate, but it's still rather shocking to consider the amount. You'll notice that top statistic out of the 50 states that comprise our nation. We understand there's, in addition, the District of Columbia, but 44 states now have a legalized lottery. You might imagine that the District of Columbia added and even some additional territories are added to the number. Let's move into our lesson then. The statistics are abounding. But what does the Word of God have to say to you and me as we consider, would it be right for a Christian to gamble? Would it be right for a person who wished to please God to invest his or her monetary amounts in something that would fit the category of gambling? To do that, let's start with a definition. Then what does it mean to gamble? How might I make a proper determination as to what would fit in this category? 
first of all, it'd be wise to notice, risk is not the same thing as gambling. Gambling, as you and I give thought to it, is far more concerted than that. The definition I have next, I would invite you to consider. Gambling is an activity in which money or possession of some type is risk in an artificially created game of chance. Now, there are a number of things, a number of features about that definition. When you and I notice, I've asked you to appreciate it involves either money or possession. Furthermore, among these activities, you'll notice it's an artificial risk. It doesn't come with just being alive. I realize that perhaps throughout the decades, many have argued, well, we all take a risk. It's a risk to get, to get out of bed in the morning. That's not what we're talking about. Those faithful Bible characters got out of bed every morning and they weren't gambling. There's an artificial game of chance created in this. And not only that, it is a game. It is not a life or death matter. It's a game. And not only that, you'll notice that with gambling comes winners and losers. There are some who lose and... In fact, a lot, and there's a very few, if any, who win. The artificiality of the game, the creation of it in light of the ultimate goal for many to lose and a very few, if any, to win, we now have a clearer sense of what we mean by gambling. But may I say that it seems as though the timing of a lesson like this one and our observation earlier does help all of us remember that on occasion... The whole matter of gambling can appear in what appears to be a rather innocent way. You and I know that the NCAA basketball tournament's about to start. It won't be long. Office pools are developed, and individuals choose to gamble maybe a small amount, but gambling nonetheless, on basketball games. Or as we've noted, maybe football games, office pools are created, as you notice, or community matters, and often is presented in such an innocent and somewhat simple and unassuming way. But you and I must be cautious and mighty careful, because if the Bible condemns gambling, then those things are not appropriate for a Christian. And tonight, then, we're going to look and ask, what does the Bible have to say about this? You'll notice on that slide, one will look in vain through the 66 books of the Word of God to find the word gambling. It isn't there. Either in plural or singular form, in noun form, verb form, it doesn't matter. The word isn't there if I'm looking for that word and that word only. But as you and I have often noted, it was the infinite wisdom of God that set forth His Word containing principles to address any and every situation even if that verbatim word doesn't occur. Often, isn't it true that you and I appreciate the reality of those principles? I might suggest to you the word heroin is not found in the Bible anywhere either. If one then were only to look for the occurrence of the word and God's explicit condemnation of it, one could conclude it's probably okay to use heroin. But we know better than that. Just as surely as there are principles containing the Word of God that address very clearly the consumption or the taking of something like heroin, you and I might be in the position to wonder, are there principles that might be embedded that could help you and I answer very clearly and directly the circumstances surrounding gambling? 
it'll be our goal to try to do that this evening. And our goal is only to allow the Word of God to speak. Point number one then will be this one. I've tried to list these in a way to where you and I could just note them in passing, but point number one, what might be said about this occurrence of gambling? First of all, gambling makes an appeal, and solely, I might add, to the physical carnal matters of life. Let's develop that in the following observation. First of all, all of us are easily understanding of the Bible's condemnation of covetousness. And by, by that, of course, we know covetousness is this. It's the seeking for something more so than I seek God. The something might be money, it might be possessions, it's things. The search and the pursuit of a thing more so than the search or pursuit of God. In fact, as the Bible discusses covetousness, in Jeremiah 6.13, in, in the ancient era, as you and I think about those things, maybe we think about the materialism of America of today, but yet the human family has oft been bothered by this matter of covetousness. God, speaking of Jeremiah in that ancient day, said, My people, these people, they have given themselves over completely to covetousness, and this thing is condemned. To pass beyond that one, look with me at the New Testament in Mark 7, 22. Jesus gave a listing of several things that defile a man. Now, that was in the context where He said, not what goes in defiles, but it's what comes out. And as the Lord made that dramatic listing, He included covetousness. This thing known as covetousness will defile a person. But not only that. Isn't it amazing to reflect on Luke twelve fifteen? For Luke records this very special presentation from the lips of our Savior. And on that occasion, wasn't it true? Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That final passage I would ask you to consider in 1 Timothy 6 verses 9 and 10 is a passage that reminds you and I so very quickly about the danger that comes with the love of money. For didn't Paul write to Timothy and say, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveteth after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And in the verse previous to that, he quickly highlighted that this brings destruction. There is then no doubt covetousness is evil. It's condemned by God. What about greed? Those who, in fact, are involved in gambling often have this insatiable desire and an earnest pursuit of that which is money and the monetary features of life. The Bible does condemn greed. In Ephesians chapter 4, as Paul addressed the Ephesian congregation, they were rather quickly told that those who pursue these old ways of life and the folly and foolishness that goes with sin, they're often motivated by greediness. And the evil that comes with it, Paul quickly says, must give way to the new man motivated in righteousness. Worldliness is the next item to which I would direct your attention and mine. When one thinks about the activity of gambling, are you pursuing and playing to the pursuit of the world? There isn't any of us could deny that. And yet, with regard to worldliness, Romans 12, 17, admonishes one and all then and now to understand this world must never be the place we put our treasure. 
as Christians, our treasure must be laid up beyond here. Isn't it amazing then in Philippians 2 verses 15 and 16, the lesson text that Brother Andrew read earlier. We have in that passage, the church in Philippi was expressly told, you need to shine as lights in the world so that others may see the grandeur of your presentation and purity of your life and be brought to realize the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you suppose it would be easy to convince someone of the great reward of heaven and the pure and necessary life of godliness while at the same time you're playing a lottery? Do you suppose the life, they would have every right to question the nature and the direction of what you've chosen? It would seem to me to be awfully hard to convince them of purity and rightness and that this world is not your home if you're playing a lottery. You'll notice one final thing. We began that listing with covetousness, but as we reflect one final time on it, God overwhelmingly demands that those who follow Him must never, ever allow covetousness to be a present and moving thought in their life. In Colossians 3 verse 5, Paul wrote specifically by inspiration and said that there are a number of things which must, and I repeat, must be put to death. That means these must be killed. These activities must have no part in the life of those who intend to please God. And isn't it amazing? Covetousness is in the list. Romans 8 verse 6 says, For those things that are pursuing of the flesh are death, but spirituality is life and peace. May I say that point number one, if you and I ask where gambling fits in the light of things, it plays to covetousness and it plays to greediness and the Bible condemns them. What then should that say about gambling? Point number two, what else might in fairness be noted with respect to gambling? Consider the avenue of stewardship. You and I know that the Word of God helps set before us the demand that we be good stewards and wholesome stewards and proper stewards of that which we've been given. As you and I develop it, consider the following. Gambling's wasteful. It's prodigal in that word that you and I so often use. Isn't it amazing when we think of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 10, we think of this boy who went and he wasted what he had. We often think of him using it with harlots and wasting it in that far country. But keep in mind the word prodigal literally means wasteful. The key thing about the boy was he wasted the sweetness and the precious blessing that his dad had for him. The inheritance was his and he wasted it. And for that he, of course, needed to make a change. Gambling is wasteful as well. This which a person has acquired, perhaps by virtue of effort and labor, that which might be used productively, it might be used for the benefit of those in need, might be used for the benefit of family members who are struggling, used for the character of children who in fact have so little, perhaps used in light of supporting the blessed work of edification and evangelism in the church. point is these funds are used to gamble it away like this. One of the things that we ought to always keep in mind, these artificial games of chance that are used in gambling, it is always arranged such that the odds are in favor of losing. The only one that ever wins is the house. 
those gambling casinos, all the games are rigged in such a way, they are the only winners, if you can think of it that way. Everyone who plays, the odds are in favor of losing every time. Not only that, as you give thought to it, the lottery. I mentioned earlier our Tennessee lottery that was passed, what, about 15 years ago. As you think about the passing of that lottery and the circumstances now of so many in our state who play it, again, the odds of winning are so very small. They're minuscule. In fact, you'd have better chances to be struck by lightning than you'll have to ever win the Tennessee lottery. Now, you'll never hear the TV commercials portray that, but that's the truth. One final thing. As I mentioned earlier, God demands that His servants make proper and careful usage of that which they've been given. That principle is embedded both in the Old Testament and in the New. In Psalm 24, verse 1, one of the immediate matters that comes before us, and Paul quoted this verbatim in 1 Corinthians 10, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all those that dwell therein. Each and every day, there's an all-seeing eye watching us. And what does God think about this gambling business? Beyond that, John 6, 13, isn't it fascinating that Jesus Himself, when He fed the 5,000, He didn't leave the fragments behind. There were even fragments gathered. I'd submit to you, I strongly suspect, those were used for the poor. They were used for somebody in need. Even after the 5,000 men had eaten and had plenty, even the fragments were gathered. God wants us to be wise stewards of what He has so abundantly given us. Perhaps one final passage in Matthew 25, 14. Jesus told a parable and a very memorable one at that. This set of individuals who themselves had been given some talents, and the five-talent man used his well, and so did the two-talent man. But there was a one-talent man. Now, the talent was an amount of money, and this man, we could argue he didn't waste it, but he didn't use it either. And that man was condemned as a wicked, slothful servant in verses 29 and 30. If those who don't use it are condemned, what about those who do use it wastefully? Doesn't it stand to reason that that would then be a condemned activity? What about point number three? What else might be said about gambling? Point number three is this one. May I ask what view is embedded in the reality of gambling in light of how others are portrayed? Let's develop that this way. As you might consider it this way, gambling is quite frankly organized exploitation. There's a whole lot taken from many people and ending up at most given to a very, very few. And so many people are exploited for the monetary benefit of a very, very few. Now, may I say, the fact is these individuals have chosen to give all of that, and that doesn't reflect well on them. But again, might I ask, so many people end up losing. Sometimes they're losing what is so sorely needed to feed families and to feed children and to pay rent and to buy groceries. And yet, these individuals have chosen to frivolously waste this money 
because they are addicted to or at least have chosen to pursue this activity of gambling. You'll perhaps notice this with me. God condemns in His Word the exploitation of others, both in the Old and the New Testament. In Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, God rather sternly turned His attention toward a condemnation of ancient Israel when they were exploiting other people. You take advantage of the widows and the orphans and those who are in need. You choose to avail yourself of what rightfully belongs to them. And God said, I'm not going to turn my eye in ignorance to this. And God punished them for it. Amos chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 paint a very similar picture. It might well be that when you and I come to Matthew 7 verse 12, could we honestly say that gambling is in harmony with that golden rule? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. Would we want them to exploit us? Exploit us? The final two verses I would ask you to consider there are these. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Our Savior echoed that as the second greatest commandment of all time. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love your neighbor if you exploit them? If you avail yourself of what they have and what belongs to them? May I again say that here's an activity and gambling clearly relates to it and yet the Bible condemns what relates to this. Maybe finally we could ask, if it is the case that love has been such a primary motivating factor in the Word of God, love for God, love for neighbor, do I love my neighbor if I exploit him or her, if I take advantage of him or her? In 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul gave the marching orders and definition for love, love never ever rejoices in iniquity. And not only that, love never ever looks toward matters that are filled with that which is not wholesome and good toward another. May I say so far, these avenues that we've considered have portrayed and painted a very dramatic picture. Let's look at number four. As you come to the bottom of that slide, what about the work ethic that seemingly corresponds to gambling? You and I understand so well that the Bible lifts high a wholesome and good ethic of workfulness. I've tried to identify it in the following way. The Bible teaches, doesn't it, that when you and I appreciate and give thought to the manner in which there is exchange for rightful work, Laborers are paid for the hire that they have, in fact, given or invested. May I ask you to notice that as far as I'm able to tell, the Bible identifies three means, three avenues by which money is to be acquired and obtained. One, work. Two, inheritance. Three, a gift on the part of somebody else. And I'd submit to you, gambling is not in any three of those categories. It's not in any one of them. Because in gambling, I'm exploiting, I'm taking what rightfully is of another. And admittedly, the person has chosen to throw it away in that fashion, but this system of artificial chance has been created, and I'm a participant in it if I'm gambling. Maybe finally in that regard, gambling is quite frankly just organized stealing as one exploits this, which again rightfully belongs to another. 
And yet the Bible on so many occasions condemns thievery and it condemns stealing. We might well begin in Proverbs 12, 11, where the ancient writer Solomon reminded us about the integrity of work and the integrity of dividends in light of invested work. Because when we come to Genesis 3, 19, wasn't it true that in the punishment that God placed upon Adam, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread? He didn't say anything about gambling. Now, what's more? In Ephesians 4.28, there's an overwhelming statement of command given to one and all. Let him that stole steal no more. That means one cannot please God and be a thief. Finally, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the man that won't work, he ought not eat. Now, those thoughts are very compelling and they're very prompting in our consideration because as gambling has brought us through four considerations, what about number five? To think about gambling in these regards seems natural to cause one to ponder this. Without doubt, gambling is an activity and it is filled with excitement. Adrenaline pumps through your body as a person is wondering, will I be the next big winner? When the dice are rolled, will the numbers I picked come up? And I'm sure there's a great deal of adrenaline that floods and flows but there's no question about it. Our federal government recognizes the addictiveness of gambling. There are warnings against it, and there are even agencies with individuals on staff to help a person dealing with the addiction of gambling. If something is that addictive, is that by its very nature not a warning as to the character of this activity? Let's in fact look at it like this. You and I know that as Christians, an individual must never be under control of something worldly like this. Twice in the Bible, especially, there is very strong statements about the fact that Paul affirmed, I will not be brought under the power of any. There's no physical thing on this earth, Paul said, that must have complete and surpassing control of me. I must be in control in such a way, I follow Jesus Christ and Him alone. Could I call to your attention that text in 1 Thessalonians 5.21? On that occasion, Paul said, Abstain from every appearance of evil. Now notice, there's the very appearance of it. The activity surrounding and is approached by this, and he said, Abstain from it. And that word abstain means to have nothing to do with it. Anything that even has the appearance of what may be itself evil. Isn't it interesting then to give thought to the easy way in which the devil has brought about activities such as this? You go to buy gasoline and right there in front of you are all sorts of lottery availabilities and tickets by which one can easily have them. Not only that. Now with a computer it's easy to log on, there are gambling houses in which one can gamble any hour of the day or night, wagering as much or as little as you like. You can begin to see that even in the cover of secrecy, a person in the cover of his own house, nobody else has to know I'm doing this. Isn't that the danger? May you and I be aware then that God always knows. We may be able to hide it from family members and neighbors and friends, but that doesn't hide it from God. 
It never did and it never will. It's just that there are such easy ways to avail oneself of it. Isn't it true as you look at the requirement of the Word of God, every one of us, all Christians are demanded by God to be temperate. That word temperate means in self-control. I've got to be in control of these things and no worldly activity should overwhelm and dominate me to the point I can't help it. And if so, then I've erred. To think again about the addictiveness of gambling, that alone seemingly suggests a strong red flag. But what about the next point, point number six? In addition to these things, have you ever given thought to the kind of company that evil ke- that gambling keeps? I'm sure your parents, your grandparents, all of us, as those individuals shared with us some powerful nuggets of wisdom, they often said, be mighty careful of those whom you keep company with. For if evil is abounding in them, it won't be long for you'll be tempted, of course, to engage in the same. Consider just upon our initial consideration, what about the kind of company that seemingly follows gambling? Are any of us surprised? Crime, poverty, drugs, alcohol, prostitution, and the list seemingly goes on and on. If you were to be asked, by what name is is Las Vegas, Nevada known? I'm sure all of us have often recognized the name of the city, or at least the slogan by which it's typically called is Sin City, and yet the thing for which it's known is gambling. And there's no wonder that alcohol flows so freely in the casinos because they want you inebriated so you'll gamble away all your money. The kind of company that gambling keeps seemingly is so evil. Doesn't that highlight that it too would be something which ought to very least be called into question and recognized for the evil that it is? You'll notice at the bottom of that slide, there are some principles found in the Word of God attacking and addressing this very point. In Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, Jesus in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount said, By their fruits ye shall know them. You can look at that which accompanies a given activity and you'll have a pretty good sense as to whether it's wholesome and good or not. And yet the kind of company that that gambling keeps registers it as an extraordinary matter condemned by the God of heaven for the evil that not only it is, but that which seems to go with it. The fascination of all that brings us to Philippians 4.8. We're admonished, are we not, to think on things that are true and honest and just and lovely and pure and of good report. Do you suppose gambling is in that list? Is gambling true and honest, just and pure, lovely and of good report? That'd be a hard case to make. Maybe it is in light of all those things. We again begin to see there are some rather strong principles in the Bible Principle number seven, as we come to the seventh principle before us, I'd like to invite us to ask, if it is the case that we as Christians are commanded to glorify God, commanded to glorify God, we're familiar with Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him, 
Or that passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, glorify God in your body. Do you suppose it would be possible to claim, I'm playing the slot machine, I'm playing a lottery, but at the same time I'm glorifying God? Is God being blessed and benefited? Is God being honored and praised? Is God being revered and properly given His due course? It seems as though when you and I think about these matters, it challenges us very clearly to understand point number eight. We've looked at seven things, principles set forth in the Word of God with ample scriptural evidence, and we found that gambling is opposed by all of them. That leads us to the eighth point. There are those who will attempt to justify gambling, but I'm only wagering so little, and yet if I get it, I'm going to make sure to give God His rightful amount. Can the end ever justify the means? Is it possible to justify some evil activity by claiming that out of it some good may occur? Jesus never fell for that, and in fact, He overwhelmingly condemned that line of thinking, didn't He? The Sermon on the Mount is filled with those understandings in which that never can be a justification. That which is evil is condemned. It doesn't matter what may or may not come out of it. And we've looked so far tonight at seven principles in leading to this conclusion. In Colossians 3.25, Romans 3 verses 5 to 8, and Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9. There are three passages that in fact condemn that mentality of hoping that the means, or rather the end might justify the means. The Bible doesn't permit it. Gambling is an evil thing. The devil has done a masterful job of making it convenient, making it easy, trying to convince individuals that out of it, perhaps out of this lottery, we can have college scholarship supported. We can have better road systems. All of that has nothing at all for a Christian to consider. We understand that those kind of matters, those kinds of thoughts, don't change one whit about the fact that the Bible doesn't endorse gambling. It condemns it. And it does so with strong principles. As you and I close this lesson tonight, our closing thought will then be this. It's been our goal to allow the Word of God to speak and not to insert our thinking, our supposition, our mentality. And our conclusion is such that we as Christians mustn't be given to gambling. Those that are recognized in a rather direct fashion like this lottery or other things like it, the visiting of casinos for the purpose of again playing the slot machines or otherwise, but certainly even be aware that in sometimes simpler places, Community pools and office pools and the like, those too would not be pleasing to God. May I submit to you as we close our lesson this evening that this has been another instance in which though the Word itself didn't appear in the Bible, the principles are overwhelmingly strong and apparent. As you and I think about our life, we want to live what's right, to do what's right, and to leave this life and of course go home to glory. Blessed is the man that dies in the Lord. That text of Revelation 14, 13 again begs you and I and demands of us that we live in such a way that we can die in the Lord. It may be tonight that there's one or more in this audience that has done things, said things, 
in such a way that publicly it's known that though the name Christian might be worn, it is not in keeping with the kind of display of life. Please recognize Jesus loves you. And though those mistakes perhaps have clouded your judgment and have illustrated that, you can come back to the Master and the Savior's blood still will cleanse your sins. 1 John 1 verse 7. We would only ask as you would let us know that, we'd be honored to pray to God on your behalf and confess those errors and sins. And again, He will forgive. But if you are an alien sinner, one that's never become a Christian, prayer alone won't save. Because you have to contact the blood of Jesus. And you do that as you obey the gospel. You do that as you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And if tonight we could be of assistance to you in that regard, it would be our privilege and it would be our honor. And what a joyous day of celebration for you it would be. This very night, if there would be anyone in the audience of whom we could offer assistance in these matters or otherwise, please let us know that. We'd be honored to assist. Why don't you come? All together we stand and sing.